0: Welcome to another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining me this week. I am excited to have Brett Hill with me because it turns out as we started talking that there's a good chance Brett Hill and I rolled our sweaty bodies over each other at Third and Pearl in Boulder, Colorado 15 years ago. Now, let me quantify what I just said so that people don't get the wrong idea, but if you do, knock yourself out we both lived in boulder at that time and we both went dancing at this place called the solstice institute they would do this contact dancing that was like world music and free expression semantic dancing and it was amazing because whether you could dance or not you could feel the beat and feel the music and feel a room full of 30 to 60 people just grooving and jiving and it was contact so they wanted you to be in contact with other people the whole time well I believe that type of dancing is actually how you get COVID. So I'm not sure we're gonna be doing it much anymore, but Brett is a somatic mindfulness and communications coach who created the language of mindfulness. And that's coming out as a book. He's he's a, a, a TED talk in uh, 2022. And listen, parents, it's time for us to get militant and understanding around this whole mindfulness thing. I, I know I've done shows in the past, but I also know that parents don't, y- y'all don't seem to get it. I like Brett's style of presentation. We're going to talk about uh, the, the, the experience of needing to be mild, mindfulness, triaging it, and then just actual tools of coming back home to the moment you're actually in. And that's hard when life has completely folded over. So thank you for joining me on the show. Please remember to listen, like, subscribe, share, leave a review. Five stars is perfect of Beyond Risk and Back. It really does help other parents who need the show. Find the show. My guest today is Brett Hill. Brett, thank you for being on the show. You're welcome, man. Thank you for inviting me. It's my pleasure. You also studied Hakomi, and I actually know quite a bit about Hakomi. I'll tell you, Mm -hmm. they're very good at protecting their intellectual property online. You can't just go download all the body types and everything. It's a brilliant mm. study and it's, I have taught, uh, body language and micro expressions to therapists and in Vegas mm. and all over the place. And Hakomi is this other version of posture and stance and man, is it exciting. And I was able to sit in and audit a few classes at times. Cause I was always at the Solstice Institute when the Hakomi, Uh, trainings were going on. So just really good stuff. So first and foremost, Brett, let's talk about what is somatic mindfulness. Everybody's got an idea of what mindfulness is. Explain what somatic means.
1: Yeah. So, you know, that's kind of a, you know, million dollar word. What is somatic? It basically means um, body felt sense. And so it's kind of like, rather than thinking about Oh I'm going to be present. You just get really it's as simple as what am I feeling in my body? So it's like am I warm? Am I cold? What's it feel like to breathe? Do I have an itch? What's you know it's like and it's mundane and, and kind of stupid as that sounds. <laughs> it's an exceptionally powerful practice that has um, neuro there's neurology there's science here this isn't just this isn't woo woo this is actual neuroscience that will help you develop the capacity to um ex- to kind of bust out of your a world that's driving you crazy uh Externally, internally, like things are happening, and it's driving you crazy. Plus, you're ruminating over all of that. And that's driving you crazier. And so how, how do you break out of that? And as you know, they, you could literally just take a breath, right? But more powerfully, connect to your experience of just what's it like to walk around in space and time? What's it like to be in this room? What's it like to look at the sunset? What's it like to drink a cup of hot coffee? And I don't mean intellectually what it's like, I mean, to savor it like a like a connoisseur in a way, you know, and that can be challenging in tough times, but really important as a skill that you can call on that when you need it.
0: Is this more than limbic resonance? Um, or is a limbic resonance another term? I I I watch animal communicators and what yeah. I, what I believe that they're very good at is limbic resonance, and that's connecting this this survival brain, our nervous systems, our 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 our, our limbic experience of the moment with another person or a group of
1: people. Is
0: it deeper than that? Is somatics
1: more Technical? Well, I would say that's pretty technical, actually. You know, a limbic limbic resonance is a thing, and it involves it involves that. Um, and when I say when I focus on somatic methods of being present, and actually, that's inspired by Hakomi, which is very much about. I mean you just talk about limbic resonance, let's so say you're, you know, Hakomi is a, a mindfulness-based psychotherapy for, you know, for therapists and or people who work in those worlds. And you sit with the person as a therapist or a coach or whatever work you're doing, and you literally want to practice the skills of how do I get into limbic resonance, if you will, with another person? What are the techniques? What are the methods for making that happen? And they're the same skills that you wind up using to like get in tune with your life or in conversation or with your work people or your kids or whatever it is. It's the same skill set. Um, and so, yes, it involves the capacity to, one, be available for resonance and two notice what happens whenever you do that, how another person's influencing you or how another experience is influencing you. What's that feel like in your body? And then how do you respond to that? Feeling or sensation? Is it freaking you out? Is it calming you down? Not that there's a good or bad on the It's just noticing, oh my gosh, I really want to back away from this person. Or, oh, you know what? I really want to step in and get to know them. I feel a great resonance there and I really want to know more about them. How do you organize around hmm. your experience of another person? I like and that. it involves the limbic system, but it also involves all the other systems too, because sometimes your limbic resonance can trigger. Um, like a trauma response, or some other kind of response. And suddenly you're in reaction mode. um, And you're on automatic because you tried to be in limbic presence. Right. And so that's a whole nother scenario. It's. It, I really like what you just
0: said, because I have found, and and since you and I can see each other, listeners can't see us, I have a few body things going on today. Number one, <laughs> um, I'm very ADHD. So I stand when I do my podcast, I move constantly. And a lot of people mistake my energy and passion for aggression. And that has always been a miss mm. in my life. That if, if someone, when I got excited and I started talking like. This, and it was just amazing I'm like why are you so aggressive and i'll tell you <laughs> that happened in boulder more than it happened anywhere else
1: i'm sure it did <laughs> <The> <laughs> chill right it's kind of like, yeah right oh man uh, i don't know if it's politically correct for you to talk to me that way right exactly <laughs> but
0: but what's amazing about it is that true limbic resonance true somatic experiencing of another person you would yeah. be able to tell if i was aggressive or passionate and it's not how i made you feel it's almost like a form of Empathy, being empathic. It is that. Yeah. Having said that, we're on Zoom. We're, I don't know, 20 billion miles from each other right now. And people (laughs) say this isn't contact.
1: But but I wanna. Can you feel me right now? Can you feel where I'm feeling? That's my my specialty, man. I know all kinds of stuff about you. (laughs) That's not that's not in the air, that's not spoken because I'm a specialist with Creating con- connection and kind of, you know, like you might say, read people, yeah, you yeah. know, that kind of thing, and and letting that inform me about who you are. And so I know a lot about you that you haven't spoken, simply because I'm paying attention. I can tell about your passion. I can tell about the fire in you. I can tell you give a crap about people in a profound way. And if we were to, if I were to ask some leading questions, like, well, how did you get to where, you know, you? you're, and I can tell you're on a mission. I mean, what have I talked to you about for 10 minutes and I know that you're on a friggin' mission and it matters and it's important to you. And um, you know, and I can, you know, I can assert all of that from just the um, variables in the air, like, Oh, you've got a podcast and you've got a foundation. So, you know, obviously you're doing that, but it's not just that you have those things. Those aren't just, those aren't just tiles on the wall. You're inhabiting that right. and you're the energy that's fueling it and that is obvious from engagement. Yeah. It sounds pretty woo-woo that you could sit with a
0: therapist and they could feel what you're feeling, that they could experience what you're experiencing. And it sounds dangerous because that enters into in in therapeutic re- relationships for people not in the know about semantics. And semantics is still an edgy concept. Christine Caldwell, who is here at Naropa University, like she is a brilliant mind in this. But people still look at semantics and saying that's not enough boundaries. Like you have to have boundaries with your patients. You have to have the, this thing that's keeping you so that transference can't take place. And somatics, it's essentially allowing energetic transference
1: so that you can... Well, no, So, okay. So that's a really key point that you're talking about. So, so first of all, let's talk about energy transfers. When you speak to me, that's an energy transfer. Right. Right? When I see you, that's an energy transfer. So right. our whole world is yes. nothing but energy transfer. Right. There's no, there's no such thing as an isolated container that nobody gets in and out of without my permission. That just doesn't happen right. because you know we, we would all be all alone in the universe if that were true. So let's just accept that we influence each other and we are influenced by each other and you cannot avoid it. If, if someone walks in the room, doesn't speak... leaves the room, that has a tremendous impact on what just happened, right? Yes. It impacts me in a million ways that many of which I'm unconscious to because below conscious level processing happens. Somebody walks in the room and they look like somebody that beat you up. You're going to have a somatic experience, even if it's a completely different person because your neurology is going to go, whoa, that's a model that looks just like and reminds you, it triggers through associated neural networks of danger. And so your danger mechanisms will light up. Now, how far they go is another matter, but they probably almost certainly will light up. You can't avoid it because We have a brain and you have a nervous system. Yeah, Sherry Simmons, she's a podcast host uh,
0: called Which Way. And she and I have taught parent workshops together for about six years now, four of them a year. And she has a story where she's sitting on the tram on the way to the airport. And as they're driving away from one of the stops in the parking area, this woman is running alongside the bus like this. The bus driver. Bus driver, stop, stop, stop. And he stops and opens the door and she grabs her kid. And they come in and like, I'm so sorry. We're so late. Can you please go to Southwest first? It's like, ma'am, we go in order. And go, oh, great. And she tosses her kid down in the chair. and goes, well, I guess you're not going to get to see grandma. Sits down in a huff, takes out her phone, checking her watch. And then, well, I just, I, I told you, you had to hurry. And then please, please, I'm sorry, ma'am. I have a route and I get fired if I don't do the route. Oh, this is just phenomenal. And pretty soon everybody... Who's sitting on that bus. It's checking their watch, double checking their tickets, starting to feel the anxiety. Now, the reason why I wanted you on this show, Brett, was because imagine what it's like when your kid has attempted suicide. Imagine Mm -hmm. what it's like when your kid is OD'd. Imagine what it's like where your kid, you've taken away the video game controller because they just spent 12 hours on it and they kick a hole in the wall. Yeah. and they're screaming and crying and they're literally going through withdrawal symptoms limbic resonance the nervous the strongest nervous system in the room is suddenly someone completely out of control and you are being sucked down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. you have the ability to coach people through this process this is this is a you you use the words when we were offline the triage process how do you even begin to recognize that what's going on may not be actually how you feel, but how other people in the room feel and you're being sucked into it?
1: Oh boy. There's so much packed into that. Um, I'm just trying to deal with the what you said. Imagine this is kind of like, okay. So when I do that, the impact on me is pretty like, whoa, you know, I'm noticing that I'm still kind of like reverberating from that. So it's like, uh, this is really hard. And I want to say to your audience and to anybody else out there, it's sort of like, it's really, really easy for someone like me or a coach or someone in mindfulness to tell someone else who's out of control. Well, what you need to do is to take a breath and be centered and get control of yourself and be in the moment and let this energy pass through you and kind of like not be reactive. It's kind of like, and, and well, you know, it's kind of like what I want to say to somebody is like, well, screw you. You know what yes. I mean? It's like you put somebody, you put your kid who you've had five years of trouble with and have them kicking in the wall and have somebody else walk in the room and say, just be present with your experience. And, it will be okay. <laughs> and I'm, and I'm going to go, I'm sorry, but being present with the experience right now is not, it, it may be part of the answer, but it's not the answer. Right. And it, it, it is there. I mean, if you could actually fully embody a mindful um space that was non-reactive to what was actually happening and being present with it and your reactivity is just part of your experience yeah. but not all of it then yes but you can't just summon that out of thin air when you need it i have a saying in my practice which is if you want to be mindful under stress you have to practice when you're not and so you can't wait until it's a crisis to begin to do the skill building. yeah. So it doesn't help for someone like me to walk in and say, well, what you need are a bunch of skills that you don't have, you know? And so what do you <laughs> need, right? Well, what you need is the ability to have enough presence to be able to go, this is gonna go bad <laughs> if I just react, right? This is not going to be helpful if I just start yelling and screaming. So if you notice you're yelling and screaming, a part of your brain goes, hey, you're yelling and screaming. Now, that part of your brain is a higher cognitive function. It's it's like a monitoring system. And it's also the first thing to go offline when you get angry and in fight or flight. Someone sees a lion, you you literally saw a lion in your front room, you're not going to That's not a time to be asking, well, how does it feel to be with a lion? Do you feel dangerous? Is it a dangerous situation? What's it like (laughs) in your mind? You know, that's not the right time for that. Right. It's a time to get out of the front (laughs) (laughs) room. Right. And so your your higher cognitive functions don't help you and they just go offline and they're literally not there. So this is a, a little bit in trauma work and that kind of thing. It's the same thing that happens in trauma. You can't tell someone who's in a traumatic response just say, just chill, man. You know, it's not going to happen because that part of them that can do that isn't there. You're talking about what, what I like to call
0: the ninety nine in one. Where, where, when you said practice when you're not stressed is because we will do in a moment of crisis, what we have practiced in all our other moments. Absolutely. Like, and that's been proven by the military, by the FBI. That's why the training is the way it is in the military and the FBI is because they saw in battle that those soldiers did what they did in boot camp. And if it doesn't work in battle, you got to change it in boot. And when you yeah. change it in boot, all of a sudden the battle changed because it's about mm-hmm. repetition, practice and repetition. As you said earlier, yeah. you know, just seeing somebody and you can sit across from them and their whole story unfolds somatically, right? For me, it's the body language. Someone starts talking and the micro expressions and this muscle moved and it moved that muscle. So that's authentic. Only that muscle moved. The other one didn't. So it's inauthentic. Like you just, mm-hmm. the story unfolds, but I've been doing it for 23 years. Right, exactly. It's just built into you. It is. So what are we practicing when things are going well? Let's just start with a simple, what is our first practice? And then
1: let's start to apply. Can we back up just a second to the triage? Yes. Issue? Yes. Thank you. What can you do when you're in that state? So one of the things I wanted to mention uh, to this audience in particular is this notion, of this technique called box breathing. Now, that's something that you can do. They teach this to military. Now. They do. Uh, to calm people down before you go into battle. They, they specifically found that pre deployment, when people got their deployment orders to the time that they deployed, they were freaked out, you know, because they're like, got like a two day or 24 hour window, whatever it was, you know, you're getting on the plane, you're about to, and people are like, oh my God, this is incredibly stressful. And so their performance in the theater, as they call it, uh, were, was not. As it should be, and and they found that by using this technique, it helps organize the nervous system so that people are more resourced. And that's the thing, is to when you when you get reactive, you lose your access to resources. So this is actually a resourcing conversation. Really, what kinds of inner resources can you bring to a crisis moment? If you can't get to those resources, what you could do is box breathing. Now, box breathing is a, a fancy, not a fancy term, but it's a term for like a controlled breathing. It's a structured way of breathing. And it—and what you do is you basically breathe in for a count of like four, whatever. The idea is to make it comfortable for yourself. and It doesn't have to be even, but it needs to be symmetric, or it needs to be structured. So it's like in breathing, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, out breath, two, three, four, stay to stay, breathe out to first count of four, then breathing in, two, three, four, hold, two, three, four, Exhale two, three, four, stay exhale, two, three, four. And you just repeat this for I would say at least five minutes. And if you can do 10, there's a thing I call organic time. It takes time. It's not like a pill. You have to, it takes time. Or if you do take a pill, like you take an ibuprofen, what does it take? 15, 20 minutes for it to kick in, right? right well, right, right. box breathing and those kinds of things. you do it for five minutes, you'll notice a difference. Do it for 10 minutes, you'll notice a significant difference.
0: Like Brett, I've been working with that box breathing uh, exercise and technique and process for years and years. And what I know, in the in the very most basic terms, is that it brings your prefrontal cortex online. You're giving your brain enough oxygen for the entire brain to be active. And I think that's why this this conversation with Brett is so important because. Uh, This is what we lose as parents, teachers, clinicians, when the teens are spinning out, when life is spinning out underneath us, we lose prefrontal cortex thinking. What you practice, you will preach. What you practice in boot, you will do in battle. So to that end, I want you to go to brabapp.com, B-R-A-B-A-P-P.com. That is 56 classes on what you could practice. Everything from the red course with the kids in extreme beyond risk behaviors, the yellow course, which is the at risk, they could do okay, they could go down the rabbit hole of red, and then the green course, which is your kid is doing okay, but you know they could do great. All of these are about the changes you need to make as a parent, what you need to do differently 99% of the time, so that when that 1% happens, For some of you, it's more than 1%. And we know this. That's why you're here. But when that crisis happens, not if, when that crisis happens, your brain retreats to a process that is effective because it's coming from your prefrontal cortex and you're online. You cannot accidentally parent well. You cannot accidentally be a successful parent of a child in crisis and trauma. You cannot accidentally raise a great kid. These courses is every these are everything I have ever taught parents in 20 years of teaching parents what to do with their kids. The red, the yellow, the green, the beyond risk, the at risk, and the good, and how to make it great. Go to brabapp.com. I promise you, it's extremely affordable. I price this so that every parent can get their hands on it. This this is, this cannot be some limiting product. It has to be for everyone and I promise it's for you. Go to brabapp.com. But for now, let's get back to Brett. So this, this somatic experience, you know, going into the box breathing, you said it's, it's triage, that this is a triage process. Does that mean that the moment our kid is screaming, giving us the finger and marching down the hall and slamming the door and you hear
1: something break inside the room, that that's when I started or I started before the kid comes home. Well, you know, it depends on your state, right? So you're the, the point I'm trying to make about it being triage is like, okay, so they start acting out and you know, if you're noticing that you want to be reactive, that's when you practice in the moment as an intervention in the moment. Now it's also a really good uh, way to do just a, a, when you're not under stress, as a way to connect to the process to to teach your body that when I do this, I'm going to calm down. So you sit down, you know, and hopefully you can adopt something of a mindful meditation practice. This can be your studies, like I'm going to be mindful about this box breathing, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to calm down. And you and when you do it, you're basically teaching your neurology, that this is my cue to calm down, calm down everything, and try to bring on my, like you said, the prefrontal cortex, my higher cognitive functions, so that I can react, respond to the moment, can hopefully compassionately, but if not, at least intelligently, and, um, uh, and not act out of a reactive, injured, wounded place yourself, because that is not going to help the situation. Brett, let's talk about
0: meditation, because I think meditation, even e- despite the amount of information out there about meditation, it still has this image of, I have to have a perfectly quiet environment and sit on a yoga pillow that cost me $700. <laughs> you know, Listen to some amazing chant music and think about nothing. Is that is that really what it is? I know Tai Chi is different, but let's let's talk about meditation because I think it's the idea of meditation
1: is a setup for failure. So can can you break it down for us? Sure. Well, when, when I'm talking about a mindfulness meditation, is a specific meditation has a lot of context and a lot of flavors, and there's and that's part of the conundrum, right? So in this particular conversation, um, my focus is about what I would call a mindfulness practice and the core of mindfulness practice is a mindfulness meditation. And I want to be clear that this doesn't work for everyone, but it works for most people. And so, um, so in the category of people for whom it works, the practice is to sit down and relax as best you can by paying Remember we talked about somatic, paying attention to your somatic experience of breathing and, and there are other methods people will focus on the and other more esoteric practices like the tip of your nose or some other sensation some are energetic like feel the energy in your body but we're not doing anything as esoteric as that it's just a simple experience that every human in the planet has which is the experience of breathing and then what happens if you just sit down and say and just try to this experiment say okay for three minutes, I'm going to focus on nothing but my breathing. Is it deep? Is it shallow? What's the temperature of the air? How's it feel coming in my nose? What's it feel like? Do I feel like I'm going to suffocate? Or am I so, oh my God, I'm being flooded with feelings because I haven't sat down and paid attention to myself in 10 years. And you know what? I'm still pissed off about getting laid off. Or I'm still you know, it's kind of like, okay. So what happens is you get hijacked by your thoughts and your feelings that you haven't noticed in a decade. That's perfect. That's going to happen you then just come back to your breathing. And so the process, the actual practice is one of saying, I intend to focus on my experience of breathing. I'm going to fail at that. Here I am failing at that. I'm <laughs> noticing I'm failing at that. I'm going to come back to my breathing and not be judgmental about it. It's just the me- it's the mechanism. Every time, now here's the magic, every time that you notice that you've lost your intention to pay attention to your breathing. You're lost in thought and you can, in that exact moment, you have become mindful. You've noticed that I'm not paying attention to my experience. I've gone into my thought. There's nothing wrong with the idea isn't to banish thought. It's just to become aware of the process of how we get lost in thought. So
0: what do we do? And, and I think it, you see how much I'm moving right now. Uh, I got my booster shot yesterday oh. and, and I am just body aches from head to toe right now. <laughs> and so I'm trying to stay stretched out and move. Cause if I hold any one position too long, I start to feel it center of my back. My hips are aching the arm yeah. where I got the shot. Now the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I don't want to be present with this. It hurts. Yeah, It's achy. It's miserable. I want to be present with you. I want to have this fun conversation and everything. And again, I can imagine, and this is why this, this is why the secret enters into the family system, which creates the sickness. Hmm. It's because I don't want to talk about suicide. I don't want Hmm. to talk about the fact that my child tried. I don't want to talk about the fact that they OD'd. I don't want the neighbors to know. I don't want my boss to know why I've had to leave work early six times and my kid's in the hospital. And I say, oh, they just had some stomach issues when in fact they carved up their arms because it's uncomfortable. And so what is your advice for when you become present with your body, it's so uncomfortable,
1: you want to leave. Yeah, well, then you just notice that that's true. And you accept it as true. You don't try to necessarily change it, you just go, it's a fact for me, that I just don't like being present with these experiences. There's an exercise and I have, um, um, I have a podcast called the language of mindfulness. And in it, there's this, I have one episode which is about uh, going back, and it's so powerful. If you want to be who you are in your life, and this is taking you know my work kind of to its core, it's kind of like if you want to inhabit the space of what I call your embodied authority, it involves acknowledging the facts of your life and saying yes to these truths. And those truths are what is true for me, right? Okay, so, okay, I was abused when I was young. I'm not, I wasn't, uh, but let's just say that was a truth for me. Uh, well, let's, I'll give you a truth for me. I was bullied badly when I was young. That's a fact. And it's a fact of my life. And I can live in resistance to that fact. Well, that was wrong. And they were screwed up. And I hate, and all of that can be in my the field of experience for that which makes Brett Brett and I can be in resistance to that fact and say it shouldn't have happened and it isn't just and that's all true it doesn't change the fact of it and just acknowledging that this is a part of who I am let's just say that I had a severe uh, problem and I and I have a heart valve defect or I have my leg cut off the question becomes not not should that have happened but who am I going to be now that this is so? So the question of who do you choose to be? And you've got a, you've got a problem in your family. Who are you going to be in relationship to that issue? And so I'm throwing down a very big gauntlet here, which is get bigger than your situation, because at your core, you are. And if you're not in touch with that, Mindfulness meditation can help you resource the wholeness of your of of who you are in a way that you look at your life, and no matter no and this is where it gets easy to say no matter how big your problems are, <laughs> you'll always can always get bigger than them, right. and and it's fluffy and weird in one way and absolutely true in another. This
0: what you just said really hit me. You know who am I going to be? with this thing in my life exactly that and the first thing that came up when you said that is wow that's a practice it's not something you know motivation when you go to a motivational seminar and they're like yeah you're gonna do it you're like i'm gonna do it they say say yes yes high five your neighbor oh yeah and you go home and six percent of the audience will follow through If that right 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 so it becomes about the practice motivation can happen in an instant change happens with discipline and this practice of yeah, it happened again today. Who am I going to be with this? Like that constant reminder. I have no idea who I'm going to be up box, breathing time. Why? Because I don't know what
1: else to do. (laughs) And right. Exactly that. Exactly that. I don't know what else to do. I'm going to try to just calm the bleep down (laughs) and, and, and goodness will happen out of that. At least, nothing worse will happen out of that. Right. And so hopefully you can land in a more resource place and make and say, and do something a little differently that has a better outcome that would have than what would have happened automatically and in reaction.
0: How do people find you if they want to follow up with you when your book comes out, when your Ted talk hit, hits the stage, how are people going to follow up with you?
1: My website is languageofmindfulness.com. So it's a a crap ton to type it. Or you can just search for Brett Hill, B R E T T Hill, Mindfulness, and I'll come up. Um, but my website, language of and there's a link on there that's easy to find where people can schedule a session with me just to see if there's a good fit. I'm I'm not a believer, I don't have a one-size-fits-all sort of thing. Sure. I don't say you sit through these eight pre-recorder sessions and you'll be transformed. It's not like that with me. I work with people one-on-one. It's very affordable, it's very personalized. And um, it's always every session is Did this work for you? Yes or no? And if not, I'm not attached to it. Oh, I failed, or you're, you're you know, it's like, hey, let's just move on. But it almost always does because I've been around a while and. Uh, and and i've learned some valuable skills from some great teachers
0: there is a a feeling like this what you're talking about has to be done in person is that true is this did you find that the the success during the pandemic and staying apart and doing your sessions on on zoom help hinder give people a safe place like how is it
1: well my clients tell me that uh it's a it's working for them so i have to take it on that you know, real-time feedback that yes, this is worth doing. And it's not as great as in person, but you know, Hey, one of the things about uh, the pandemic has been taught us that we can, we can have meaningful interactions and impacts for people that aren't in your geography. And that's, that has proven to be true in my world.
0: I asked that question because what suddenly came up for me was my innate fear of acceptance, my hypervigilance around body language and am I doing the right thing and then so that just comes with my ADHD and the idea of sitting on the floor of my office in my house with you watching me on camera practice with a pair of headphones on that's blocking out the my outside world that I'm in a safe place and and that that I can handle Mm -hmm. the correct and continue better than if I was in an office, in a, in a, in a, mm. in a clinic somewhere, you know? So I, that just, I, I thought of that question, but I think it would work better for me to be home. Yeah. You, that, way, that, that, that
1: way you get to do in your environment and safety and familiar and all of that. And absolutely. Yeah, sure. So, it, and that, and for there are certain people and a lot of people, I think that that's absolutely true for,
0: especially people with trauma, just feeling like they can be in a safe space while you're teaching them.
1: Well, that's essential for people with trauma. And I don't, I won't, I'm not going to put myself out there as a trauma specialist, but I would say I've spent a lot of hours studying with people who were. And so I, I, I'm, I practice what I call trauma informed mindfulness in the sense that I am looking out for, because remember the mindfulness meditation thing we talked about, I said, it doesn't work for everybody. People who have trauma and of a particular sort, uh, they go inside and they start to get present with their experience and that triggers a traumatic thing. No doubt. Most people that a meditation, a classic meditation is what contraindicated. And there are other forms of, of being present that can work like uh somatic bait, like, going for a walk, being really present with your experience, like trees, noticing the movement of the trees, feeling the breeze on your skin, noticing the color of the sky. Those are all also exceptionally good mindfulness practices. Uh, we were joking a little bit earlier about a somatic movement, right? right. Like uh, somatic dance and, and therapy. And so there's a uh, qigong, there's yoga, there's all those ways of being really present with how does it feel like to move in my body in a particular way? That isn't about, mind stuff right so it's it's really it's in the body and the thing about can you be really present with what it feels like to turn your hand really really present in a really refined way there's no right or wrong there there's no like oh i wonder about if i should find my taxes now or i wonder if uh oh yeah you know you, you know it's just very very clear direct experience and um uh and so the so the bottom line on all that is if you If you do any of these practices and you feel it's not unusual to feel a little uncomfortable, like the monkey mind thing, but if you feel overwhelmed, don't do it.
0: I think what's so important is you can't fail at this. Like you cannot, you can do it wrong a thousand times and still get the benefit of the practice. And Ah, my mind my inner monologue is so constant that that this experience of trying to be quiet and with my own thoughts I am always with my own thoughts but I'm never quiet but this practice of the box breathing which I've used for many years brings you right back online and I have found that when I am at the facility in the deep and dark with the kids in any moment when I'm at when I'm with a client when I'm with my wife When I'm with my own kids and it starts to get tense, I immediately go to this box breathing and it just keeps my brain online. And then I can access all these tools that I have. It's like the tool you need to to get to the toolbox, right? It's like the key to the lock on the toolbox. I want to thank Brett Hill for bringing his expertise. Make sure you keep watching the TEDx and, and Fine has when he gets it out. He's he's doing his talk in 2022. And uh, keep an eye out for his book. I want to thank Deepen Productions for making this podcast sound so dang good and this music, which I absolutely love. And I, and I have to say, I see my guests dancing to it when they hear it too. So good job, Dylan. And... Your Cause Consulting, which has done the work and continues to do the work to make sure that this show is getting in front of the parents who actually need this show. So we're not just casting a wide net. We're looking for the niche market of parents of teens that struggle. Go to Facebook, my private group, Parenting Teens That Struggle. Get your free support there. I do a Monday night call at seven o'clock uh, mountain time that anybody can come on to and ask questions live with me. And then please go to brabapp.com and get the courses. Thank you for listening to Beyond Risk and Back. Remember, parents, take care of yourselves first, your adult relationships second, and your children third, because in that way, you're going to do your best work with your children. And before we go, it's usually the last thing I say, but before we go, let's do Brett a solid. And everybody just take a deep breath right now. I know you're going through it. Go through it. Be somatic, be intentional, breathe on purpose. You'll be okay.